0: Oscar poker. They make the, the horse into an exceptionally perceptive and almost English-speaking being in Warhorse. Everything short of English-speaking, right? And being uh, able to discern, uh, but but really, uh, you know, horses are quite. All animals of, of any sensitivity can, of course, sense uh, where people are coming from, what they're feeling, what's what's the, the, the vibe in the in the air and all that stuff. But they they go well beyond that, I believe, in, in War Horse. And it's meant you're you know, he's meant to be an exceptional being who is um and and who was it exactly, Sasha, that, that advanced the notion that there is a uh, kind of a uh you know a, a blessed angelic quality about him?
1: Yeah, um it was me but I, Spielberg had said something about that he was around horses his whole life or he's been around horses for 10 years and we know this is true because Kate Capshaw is a horsewoman and she had a stable built in Brentwood for her family to ride horses i know she's she's very much into horses and mm-hmm. uh so i i don't doubt that spielberg hasn't he's probably seen you know many of his children riding and
0: right. he
1: may have ridden a horse or two in his life mm-hmm. Uh, yep, yep. but the movie itself is, is what paints him as a religious figure because they call him a miracle horse. Well, anytime you use the word miracle, yeah. you've got a figure that somehow there's religion involved, maybe not deliberately, but maybe to him it's just magical.
0: Did you um, think it was necessary? Like, there's a scene that I'm going to briefly describe. It's not a spoiler or anything, but <clears throat> it's when uh, two soldiers from the opposing sides of World War I, a British soldier and a German soldier, uh, come to the aid of Joey the horse who has uh, covered himself and is uh, stuck in in uh, all kinds of barbed wire around his body and around his legs, and he basically is going to be stuck there for the rest of his life unless someone helps him. So it's kind of one of those uh, special moments that we've read about that has happened between British and German soldiers or French and German soldiers when, they, uh, when the hostilities ceased and they... Uh, you know, where they they decided not fight for a couple of hours, or you know, or or, or, to, or to basically, uh, there's a higher calling yeah. here. Let's help right. this horse out. So you know,
1: yeah, we, and we don't want to spoil too much of it. I'll say that I liked that scene. That was one of the I thought one of the better scenes in the movie. But um,
0: well, here, listen. Let me just explain something that I that I think was bad about that scene. If you don't mind my being, specific. I don't.
1: But let's just warn the the listeners that you know it's going to be about maybe five minutes of spoiler. So if you want to fast forward. You know how people are I'm the one that takes the heat
0: uh, for yeah okay it. well anyway the, the 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 gist is that I found it um, uh, irritating to say the least it's a very classically made film which to say it's old fashioned I don't mind something uh, that that looks and sounds like a nineteen sixty two David Lean film or a nineteen fifty five John Ford film that's fine but back then when people of different cultures and different languages were depicted. The way the system uh, that they had was, they had to um, speak in the accents of their native country, which is nonsensical. But that's how you do it. A French guy speaks with the French accent. The uh, German speaks with a German accent, and the American, and so on. So, in, in Warhorse, the strange thing is that we hear Germans speaking in British accents. We hear, yeah. we hear one German kind of speaking in a German accent, but not really. It's hard to tell. But mainly it's kind of a neutral thing or it's a kind of a British thing in uh, the French sequences, uh, particularly with a with a French farmer kind of in the vein of the of the grandfather in Heidi uh, he speaks English but not with any uh, well uh, kind of with his accent but his daughter does I don't know what kind of accent she's speaking with but it's not french it's it's kind of a British thing it's all over the map is what I'm saying it's kind of like the accents in that Tom Cruise Nazi film uh, Valkyrie right. remember those well, they I... were like there is no rule there, you know I mean, uh, Cruise did his own thing. a lot of uh, 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 Germans were, were British accented, some were not, some were German accented, and you have to have a system so the, yeah. the joke comes when these two guys, you know everybody's been speaking English, left and right, and <laughs> after I don't know how long uh, the, the the British guy says to the German guy after they've been talking for a minute so you have a very good... Uh, you speak English very well.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and as soon as he said that, I'm telling you, the crowd broke out in laughter, at least at my screening. They were like, that's necessary to say? Everybody's speaking English. And very mm-hmm. indiscriminately, with no particular sense. So someone to comment on the fact that he's speaking... I, I just thought it was...
1: No, I thought it was funny, too, but I didn't think that's why they were laughing. They were laughing, I thought, because it was just a funny way he said it. You know, like <laughs> okay. It was just a funny scene. But I agree with you. The only way I knew that they were German was that they were wearing those hats. Mm-hmm. Like when, when you go over to the German side, you know yeah. that it's the Germans because they're wearing hats. And I, I have to say the things I liked about the movie too, and one of the things I liked was how in War Horse um, there are good people in both on both sides. And that is the most moving thing about it. The middle part of War Horse, when they're doing the war stuff, to me, is great. And it would be a great movie if not for um no i
0: don't, I don't agree with you. I think there's a very stirring um uh sequence that people have already spoken about we can't you can't this has been all over the place already there's a a stirring attack on aqaba sequence and that's a reference to a sequence just very much like it in Lawrence of Arabia when Peter O'Toole and Anthony Quinn and the uh and the uh various tribes uh attack uh aqaba on the on the Gulf of Aqaba, and they have uh, rifles. And swords, and they they leap over these tents that Turkish soldiers are in, and they uh, kind of take swipes at the soldiers. Very very well shot, beautifully, beautifully edited, and everything by David Lean. This is a tribute to that sequence in in um, in War Horse, but it is nonsensical in that the Germans, uh, excuse me, the British British seem to have only swords at the ready. They do not have uh, you know rifles or you know they're just coming in, sort of charge of the light brigade because it looks cool to have swords. Well, they meet up with uh, with uh, a terrible end because of uh, gatling guns that the Germans have, which is completely logical to expect that the Germans are going to fire back at them. Um, you know, with with machine guns and and and, and rifles, it yeah. makes no sense. It's it's idiotic. It makes you know. I'm like going, why are they doing this? In Lawrence of Arabia, they are doing it at the crack of dawn. While the Turkish are still waking up, and they haven't really, you know, their 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 defenses are down. They're probably just having their morning coffee or whatever. So that's the thought there. And they and and uh, Peter O'Toole's uh, Lawrence of Arabia's troops have rifles as well as pistols as well as everything else. So it makes sense there. It makes no sense in Warhorse. The film is filled with stuff like this.
1: Yeah, I know because it's it's. It's, an emo- it's supposed to just be an emotional movie. I mean, clearly they don't want the audience to do any sort of thinking. Otherwise, they would have the soldiers speak in German and they would put subtitles in the way that, that he did in Schindler's List.
0: But I don't mind myself if they just do the old-fashioned, have give them accents. That's okay, as long as you stick to a system. There's no right. system here. That's all it is. But I'm saying.
1: I don't it just shows you how your emotions can override everything because I think with people they're so in the people who love the movie I think are just so into the horse and those incredibly stirring scenes of war. And I think when people write about War Horse when the reviews finally come out, people will have to pay respect to Uh those scenes where like for instance the best scene in the movie the best scene is when the horse is running from one side to the other then just right before he gets tangled in the barbed wire i mean that is one of the most beautiful scenes in any movie i saw this year it was just it's stunning and if it had if he had kept it on that level all the way through you know to me warhorse would be that great movie that, that we were all expecting it to be as it is, it's a good it's a good family film. It's a film people can take any kids of any age to see because they it is not gory. It's not violent. You can take small children to it. There's no profanity. There's barely any blood. They're, you know the soldiers dying are tamer than stuff you'd see you know just in, in regular primetime. And TV. Let's, uh,
0: let's reveal Sasha that there's a scene in which two German uh, uh, lower lower echelon guys um, desert. Uh, and they are uh, captured by their comrades, their German uh, uh, compatriots, and uh, they are found... As uh, uh, You know, desertion during wartime is uh, punish, punishable by death. So they go in front of a firing squad. And it's significant because Spielberg looks to obscure the moment which, in which the two men are literally shot and fall to the ground. He uses a windmill blade right. to obscure our vision of them falling to the ground. He then allows the windmill made to, blade to pass, and then we see the two bodies lying there. But we right. have been spared the horror of watching two guys get right. shot. And so again, is, oh, yeah.
1: yeah, sure. But if it's a movie for adults and it's a drama, that is sort of unforgivable considering. But it's not. It's a movie for kids. They don't want them to see that stuff. They want it to be so inoffensive that people even in you know the really strong bible belt states can take their kids to and their kids won't they won't have a problem with that kind of violence i mean i don't know what the rating is is it pg
0: or g i presume it's pg i don't know really it could be pg 13 but you know i, I don't think
1: pg 13 i think if anything yeah. g yeah to me it's a g rated movie absolutely g rated yeah. yeah you know um because there's no manliness about the lead character he's a boy yeah. who has no girlfriend and no love interest. He's just obsessed with his horse. And um, in the beginning, to me, it was like I was expecting to see a very cleverly done sequence. Like, for instance, when Elliot first meets E.T. Yeah. Um, and he, he, the way he lures him back, the way they become bonded is over a long period of time. It starts with him dropping Reese's Pieces through the forest and E.T. Yeah. following. Right. And little by little... They come together and they bond and they become so attached that when Elliot gets sick, E.T. gets sick. And um,
0: Yeah, I like that, actually. The it thing
1: was... is about them is that they were bonded and, and, and the war horse, we're just supposed to. It's almost, I hate to say it, but it's almost insulting to me that Steven Spielberg would have taken so many shortcuts because he doesn't give us the opportunity to really get into this relationship between the boy and the horse. Why are they so attached? Mm-hmm. We see him like offering the apple to the horse and then all of a sudden he's saying, we'll be together, Joey, we'll be together. And they do that plowing scene. And, but there's that's never it. any real original scenes that show why, he, why he's attached to this horse. And, and so, But we're just supposed to accept it. And it's kind of how the movie goes. But once you leave the kid and you move on to the war, that's when the movie takes off. And that's when it's good. And then when he's done with the war and he has to go back, that's when, again, when it starts to fall apart, in my opinion.
0: Oh, by the way, Pete Hammond told me that the Hollywood Reporter gave it a glowing review. I haven't seen that, but I, I hear—I um, don't know if we're still recording, but I, I have heard. Um, I don't know this to be a, the case, but I have heard that the—it's not likely that Variety is going to be all that kind to it. But let's see. You know, let's wait and to, let's wait and see. Todd I mean, it McCarthy.
1: Well, I don't know. Does does Todd McCarthy like Spielberg? Is he a Spielberg guy?
0: Um. That's a good question. I don't really know what he's... I know he's certainly a guy who's always felt akin to... Uh, let's put it this way. He had his son... He met Spielberg at the uh, Smithsonian in Washington a year or so ago when there was oh, that well, the Rockwell thing. Then. Yeah. And his uh, son was uh, photographed with uh, Spielberg. I think there's a certain... And I know that he's heard stuff about... I think he's... Uh, he's uh, He's not an enemy at all, in any way, shape, or form, of the Spielberg camp, from what I know. All right, I think I'd just like to uh, address something that I feel is important to say, which is that <clears throat> um, I don't want to. Uh, I feel that it is uh, unwise of me to uh, be relentless as far as my feelings about Warhorse. I think that um, it's uh, it's time to, for me to let it go. I only, uh, but I do find it interesting when these things happen. And I just like to comment on them without getting into, you know, saying what I what I don't. But I do want to say this clearly uh, at the outset, which is that my honest feeling was that it, it was a very uh, pandering and sentimental, uh, uh, very very um, schmaltzy and and smoothed over and and a kind of a fake reality type of movie that that Spielberg is very good at making. And I was genuinely saying to myself, without trying to be, you know, funny or, or, or be outrageous to anyone, I was saying to myself, I'm not really convinced. I don't really think that this is necessarily even on the top five of a, of a uh, you know, for the year. I think it's, I'm not even sure if it's a top ten. It's it's going to be strong in a certain sense, but it is so, um, uh, I think, uh, guilty of so many uh, uh, questionable you know ways of presenting the story and so um so uninterested in in having any kind of semblance of reality or or semblance something you actually try of try and half believe in as i said i think it's darby o'gill and the little people and that is not a slam as i was pointing out in my initial thing i happen to <laughs> like that film have you ever seen it by the way no I haven't. it's a good little disney film seriously it's not i'm not being snide here, it's about uh, an older, an old Irish guy, and Sean Connery's the young uh, man who loves his daughter, played by Janet uh, <laughs> Janet, uh, Janet Monroe. Janet Monroe, mm. and um, it involves leprechauns, and it involves a banshee, an Irish banshee, and it's really got its act together. But it's a very old-fashioned film in the way that Spielberg's film is. But it's it's it knows how to do this sort of thing, and it follows rules, and it doesn't. Uh, make your sense of credibility go out the window. It's, it's it's not a bad film, but it's try. I think Spielberg is trying to do this kind of thing. Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It's it's like a it's a special little reality that only movies know, and that you kind of you know buy into when you sit sit down and watch them. But it so violates. Uh, I, I I wanted to go with it. I don't hate these kind of movies, but it kept assaulting me and doing things wrong, and I uh, and I just couldn't believe any of it. And
1: yeah. And as you know, and as your readers know, people give you shit for not liking Spielberg anyway, <laughs> so they didn't think you were ever going to like it. But me, I'm a big Spielberg fan, and I have to say I'm sad. that. And you know what? The thing is, is I'm not going to sit here and say I hated War because I didn't. I was totally with that horse all the way through. The horse, to me, other than the times where he makes the horse act like a human, which I was really offended by, but other than that, like... I was with it all the way. And I knew I would I would love the movie in terms of that, you know, in terms of it being a family movie about a horse. Yeah. What I wasn't prepared for was that he was going to do that, step outside the realm of, of the reality of the thing and start giving the horse more, you know, hum, yeah. human-like intelligence. Right. That was <laughs> hard for me to take because I don't, it's like sort of my pet peeve in movies is when they anthropomorphize animals, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can buy it in Lassie because the thing is, is dogs, d- dogs and dolphins, are, can be trained that way to respond to us like people. And and a lot of dogs can understand verbal commands, and so can chimps, by the way, and apes.
0: And there's no problem at all. It's in fact it's expected, and I think it's uh, um, that the kindness that is shown to the horse, with the exception at the very end, the older British uh, officer who wants to shoot him because uh, Joey is is uh has been cut up and is seen as as lame and spielberg was just mentioning today by the way in a q a with mark harris Grantlands mark harris uh from new york that um many many horses died during world world war one it was a pretty awful number uh those that were just you uh, know died from exhaustion or died from bullets or whatever and it's um uh, so he wanted to have that uh, understood that it was a pretty brutal experience for any horse involved in hauling or or charge. I I was completely unaware of anything like a cavalry charge with swords, but that's you know. Yeah. I, I don't. I, it's because it's in a Spielberg film. I assume it's not true, but maybe it's maybe it is. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know either. I know that with the play, I'm sure that. Um, that it was it was perfectly natural to make the horse an extension of the human emotions because it were it was people underneath the horse and they can very subtly do what they think would give us give the audience an idea of what the horse might be thinking or feeling without making the horse look at a trainer and having a trainer whistle and do something signal to the horse to make the horse act like a human mm-hmm. you know like like jump up and bound toward the guy or you know lift up and dig his foot in the in the dirt and um i don't know i just to me it's kind of insulting you know horses bond with people i know they do i was really bonded with my pony i had my pony taken away from me when i was a little kid and it was traumatizing. it was the mo- one of the most traumatizing things in my childhood was having my pony taken away
0: did you have a uh, did you actually own the pony it was yours
1: yeah they were our ponies
0: why were they taken away
1: um, we we were really poor and living in Topanga, and um, we had ponies, and we used to ride them all all up and down the fire breaks in Topanga in the 60s. Uh-huh. And my mom hooked up t- with this guy, and we moved out of our house in Topanga, and we moved in with this other family down okay. in the bottom of Topanga where they didn't have room for the horses. And so from there, we ended up moving to Oxnard and Simi Valley and all these other places while they started to do real estate. Well, it was when we moved out of there that they that they sold our ponies and I just remember my pony getting onto the truck and crying and I cried for like a you know six months after that that's how close I was with with my pony and Mm. you know um he would do things he was a weird little pony he was a stallion and he would do things that were crazy you know and and uh I knew his personality pretty well and you know I got to know him. I learned his way. I learned to communicate with him. I didn't ever expect him to turn around and communicate with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I if he was ever going to communicate, it would be about, you know, it would be signals while you're riding like he would loosen his bridle so he could get some food or he would he would ignore my my holding the reins if he wanted to go home and he would just go home, you know. Uh, uh-huh. Um but they're just like any other animal. They're they're all about survival and and warmth and food and Mating and you know fear and um, all that stuff, but I don't think it needs any more than that. I didn't think Warhorse needed any more than that. I don't think he needed to make that horse do the things that he did that made him like a person. You know,
0: if it's- he had played it straight and plain and and toned it down, made it really simple, and just let us see what the, this horse is going through, and not amped it up so much. I think it would have been um, I would have been a lot closer uh to being on board with this thing than I am now. And I, I was Me hoping too. that he was gonna show some kind of restraint as he did in uh you know, Schindler's list and he did uh I thought he showed some restraint when they were going across the French countryside and saving private Ryan. I didn't have that much of a problem with that film. I thought that was one of the best realistic things that he's uh, done. And I, he did not go to that uh, area at all. He really, really cranked it up in a kind of fantastic, magical reality way. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's like, it's designed for kids or for people who don't, haven't really spent a lot of time around horses. I mean, I'm sure that, I don't know. I mean, it's a different philosophy. Some people look at cats and and, and see them as acting like people. Some people look at dogs and see, and I, and I understand that this is not how I am and that I'm different from most people and that I don't look at animals that way. Yeah. You know, I try to respect them for what they are, and I think what they are is plenty good enough. I don't think they need yeah. anything more than that. And obviously, people on Twitter have been greatly moved by War Horse. Ann Thompson, Chris Tapley, Devin Faraci. Um Chris Tapley announced today he thinks it's going to win Best Picture and Best Director. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll probably win... I think it's, I don't know what it's gonna win, but I know it's definitely down for cinematography, score, art direction, sound, and sound editing. Those nominations, it's guaranteed. And like Chris says, you know, the Academy members, they're not critics. And if they're warm, fuzzied about this movie, if it's the most moving film they saw this year, then sure they're gonna vote for it for Best Picture to nominate it, you know? Yeah. Um, not necessarily to win, it depends on what it's up against. <laughs> but um, it'll, it'll certainly get a nomination, you know.
0: Uh, my suspicion, my uh, intuition is that it's going to be treated with um, not just uh, in a non-approving way, but a contemptuous way. And I think that that mood is going to eventually be absorbed by the uh, folks who think it's a big winner. And I think that's going to influence their optimism about that.
1: I, you know, it all—it always has to do with expectations. Like if you're walking in and you—you've read Jeff Wells' site for a couple of days and you see that Jeff's trashing Warhorse, you go in and you watch War Horse and you think, you know what? That wasn't that bad. That was actually pretty
0: good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's exactly how it works.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it works. And so, whereas if you went out on your yeah. site, oh my God, it's the best movie I ever saw, which is yeah. kind of how I went into War Horse thinking it was yeah. going to be that, and—and uh-huh. uh, and then your your expectations can be dashed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. True.
1: So, you know, that's it's it's all about, mitig- you know, managing expectations. But that that gets you through the first pass that gets you to a nomination. I think it'll definitely get it. The, the goodwill around Spielberg, the amount of friends he has, um, the kids in the academy, you know. So but, you know, the demographic that it kind of crowds out is the help. It's two Disney yeah. movies. It's two mainstream Hollywood films. It's two kind of sentimental, sappy movies. Mm-hmm. Uh so it could it could be nominated in place of the help,
0: mm. you know. And you don't know, then that doesn't end, undermine uh, Viola Davis then. You don't think? Uh, I mean, if the help goes out, if it's not a Best Picture nominee, doesn't that? Hurt? I don't
1: see anybody challenging Viola Davis at this point. This is the problem, and I'm not even saying I think she gave the best. Perf- I mean, she might have given the best performance. I can never tell. It's hard for me to tell, but. I don't see anyone strong, and like I think Michelle Williams will get nominated, but I don't think anybody sees the need to give her an Oscar right now in her career. She's so young, mm-hmm. um, so that takes you down to Glenn Close in Albert Knobs, which is problematic, and and it takes you to Meryl Streep in Iron Lady, which is problematic. You know, so uh,
0: not say the performance is not problematic in, at all, Sasha.
1: It is a bit, yeah.
0: A I don't bit. think so. Well, There's it's, no basis to assault it and, and say, it, I'm it, not
1: assaulting it. I'm just, and I think that she's brilliant. Meryl Streep can do no wrong. I, I guess my feeling about that is it's a little too close to her Julia performance, cadence wise and voice wise, that it's not going to stand out as much as something original. Uh, I mean, you can't look at that performance and not be totally awestruck mm-hmm. by it, by her. It's just a matter of taking a woman who holds the record for most nominations and finally giving her a win. And is it going to be for this, or is it going to be for what's coming next year or the year after that? I mean, she turns out so many great performances year after year, I don't feel the sense of urgency to give her one right now. That's the problem. Well,
0: here's the uh, here's what's probably going to happen with Meryl Streep. She's going to be nominated without question, and she may not win. In fact, I would not be surprised if Viola Davis wins. Fine. Uh, even though she's not playing a lead, but that's uh, I'm going to give up on that one. Uh, but, but people are going to remember that uh, Meryl Streep was so brilliant in this. And when she appears in what I presume will be a late 2012 release, uh, the feature uh, version of um, yeah. Oh Yeah uh, August Osage County, I'm telling you, that is a killer performance. Oh yeah. yeah she will probably
1: you know, win for, no but i'm 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 like you i'm right in line with you i think that yeah. if that's coming next yeah. there's even less of an incentive to award her for this you know because she's got that great performance coming
0: well nobody i don't i don't know that as common knowledge i mean but you know um it's if you've seen the play you know that that's one of the great uh, older woman roles ever in the last 20 30 years so I mean she smokes Winston's like a chimney and she's and there's fighting and there's screaming and it's, yeah. it's good it's pretty good See I
1: think that <laughs> is more against type than what we're seeing with her in Iron Lady. I mean remember Plenty and Ironweed and Julie and Julia all of yeah. those kind of set up what she does in Iron Lady, which is breathtaking and amazing mm-hmm. and brilliant, but I just don't know if I feel the if it's not a best picture contender. So your question is Viola Davis if the help is somehow shut out um, for Best Picture.
0: Yeah, does that weaken her inevitability or, you know, the people feeling? Because she's...
1: I think it I does, yeah. Difficult. I There's think no it question. weakens it. But my problem is I don't know who then wins. Yeah. I don't see a winner in the pile right now. And and it's a very vague, weird Oscar season because I don't really see a Best Picture in the pile either right now.
0: <laughs> it's, it's really not the strongest year, let's face it. It's,
1: it's not, not. It's a mediocre, you know, yeah. B-plus level year. Yeah. <laughs> We don't have any great
0: A's. That's, no, I, I actually disagree. As far I think Moneyball is. Super I think fun.
1: Moneyball's the only one right now that that to me and in in my own little world, my own little tiny little world of looking yeah. at the films that I've seen, yeah. that's the only one I feel like has the stuff to actually win. It
0: really does. It really, really does. Um, and it's
1: it's it's right in line. It's you know, and then comes The Descendants, The Artist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Those two are right behind it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. And then maybe dragon tattoo and maybe extremely loud. those are the only two left. but
0: can uh, you uh, um, can you allude to or share anything about a recent academy screening of the artist, or do you feel c- uncomfortable talking about that um I, it's fine if you don't. I just thought you might want to share.
1: The thing is, is that I, I love the artist. It's like, I think it's one of the best movies of the year for sure. It's so good. It's so perfect. It's so beautifully made. Yeah. But there's no getting around the fact that it's a silent movie. There's just no getting around that fact. And And you have to be someone who's sitting on the edge of your seat, watching every single frame to get that story. And it's beautiful if you do. You'll have one of the most amazing experiences of your life if you can do that. But not a lot of people can do that. Not a lot of people want to do that. All they
0: gotta do is do it once. How many times has a silent film been out in the last 30, 40 years? Uh, Mel Brooks made a movie called Silent Movie in, what, 73 or something? When was yeah. the last when, Has anybody done it since? That's like 35 years ago.
1: But it's so clever, the artist. Um,
0: but I'm, I'm asking you, can you think of any others? I don't, th- I don't think there have been. It's just one novelty that lasts for, what, 100 minutes? Right. And people are going to say, nope, not going to do it.
1: So what it becomes about is the acting, the performances. Um, I think Jean Dujardin is just brilliant. The second time through, his performance really stuck out out for me as being great. The dance numbers are incredible. The um, cinematography is amazing. The sound is amazing. I just don't know that it has the stuff, the gravitas to win. I don't think it has that I don't. I know it, it doesn't
0: f- have the gravitas. For me, it is completely a riff on films that have already been made and films that I'm very familiar with, A, a Star Is Born, particularly, and uh, and Singing in the Rain. It is that uh, is just re, uh, you know, reshuffling, taking those elements and cr- and creating a very similar story. Yeah. So I don't think it has anything real of its own either. I think it's all about reflecting and paying tribute to and making and giving a wonderful way to re-experience silver screen silent uh, drama. About a significant period in Hollywood history, and you know yeah. it's fine, but it's it doesn 't have a lot of undercurrent you know let 's face it
1: yeah I mean it doesn 't have that it doesn't have anything quote unquote serious or important about it now, movies yeah. can win without that, obviously, and Harvey Weinstein's always the one that manages to do it, like Chicago, for instance, if they really love the movie that much, so when Chicago played at the academy, um, the audience was clapping. Along at the end, they stood up and they were clapping all the way through the credits they were into. That's what that's what all the reports said after. And this is how people knew Chicago was going to win was because how the Academy reacted. Well, Mm -hmm. I was watching in um, the artist and I was sitting, unfortunately, way far back. Like I got seated in like the second to the last row at the Academy. Uh I never sit that far back. I'm usually like four or five rows up because I don't see very well from the back. Yeah, um, I'm farsighted, but I just, when I see a movie, I prefer to be up close because I get I get taken in by it. You know, I don't, I'm not, I, I, I don't like, to, anyway, a lot of people like to sit back. But anyway, so the audience was into the movie a little bit, but they weren't as into it as they were when I saw it in Cannes. For instance, in Cannes, when the moment came where the sound broke through, I, you could hear an audible gasp in the theater. It was like, oh, <gasps> You know, and, and any tiny little thing that happened, it seemed like the crowd reacted in Cannes, like they were just on the edge of their seat. But I didn't feel that same sort of buzz at the Academy. I was surprised that I didn't, but I didn't. And, and I don't know if it's because I was sitting in, in the back or what, but...
0: Uh, you know, it's because uh, the Cannes Film Festival audience uh, is a, made up of an international array of the smartest, sharpest journalists and, and, and film buyers. You've got the most attuned, sharpest... It's, it's a great crowd. And so if something is, is working, they will always respond. And it's like a movie is really enhanced by seeing it with a great, ca- great crowd. It always is. You know, even when they don't out, you know, laugh out loud or, or clap or whatever, you yeah. can still feel. They get it and they're with it. It just yeah. feels right when you're seeing it with a good crowd. When you see it with a dead crowd, right. well, that aren't, then it, it really, like, what, ha- what happened? It's, it doesn't feel as like it has the, the juice that it had when I saw it in Cannes. Well, there's right. a reason.
1: I And, you know, we had to wait in line before we got in, and people were met pissed off. Academy members were meant to wait in line. And, like, I saw Sophie B. Hawkins, that rock star, walk by and try to talk her way in and then have to go uh-huh. down the line and then walk up. And I know people were perturbed. So they might have walked in feeling bummed out anyway, angry, because uh-huh. they had to wait. I've never gone to Academy screening where the line was down the block like that. Mm. And it turns out that they were doing a photography shoot inside with the stars, and they had so, the Chaplin uh, Sisters... Yeah, they had the Chaplin sisters there who are stunningly beautiful. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they are gorgeous women. I
0: I saw the photos the next day.
1: God, they're beautiful. I mean, and they were there, and Harvey was there, and Harvey Weinstein, he was so um, compelling. God. I mean, he's, you know, he is the Oscar whisperer, and I tell you, there's nobody better than him. Uh The story he told was such a great story. It made it like this was the underdog movie that just you know, he, on a wing and a prayer, he, he raised all this money so he could buy the movie. They didn't even have a, you know, a board of directors, you know, he just told this great story and he Mm -hmm. had the crowd in the palm of his hand and everybody was so, you know, wanting to love the movie and they brought the cast out afterwards and, you know, they pulled out the stops. It's just for me, if I'm being honest, I didn't feel the buzz in the room. The way I had felt it can, and and I didn't feel the buzz in the air the way I had at Telluride, and I don't know what the reason for that is, and I don't think anybody should not predict the artist because okay. of what I'm saying. I think that it's still a smart, pre- I think the artists and the Descendants, and even Warhorse, if you want to like, if you really want to think of the Academy as being that type of group, those mm. aren't dumb decisions to predict for Best Picture right now. Those aren't bad decisions.
0: Um, so you didn't see, uh, you chose not to see. Um, we bought a zoo last night. I did see it. Oh, you did see it. Sorry. Yeah. No. We should not. go into that because that just uh, played last night for the first time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what'd you think?
0: My, my impression was that it was um, it was trying too hard to be endearing. Uh, there's a uh, there's a quality that that Karen Crow has been very good at delivering, and that's dialogue that is at once realistic but at the same time uh, very carefully shaped and has a sometimes has a, almost a. A kind of a casual, poetic uh, flavor to it, and uh, he has a way of when he when he hits, when he's really on his game, he has a way of lifting a scene up, and you think something really, you can feel uh, something special going on. It seems to get into your own mm. insides, and I've certainly felt that in portions of, of Almost Famous and Jerry Maguire, and Say Anything. He's a good writer and director, but he has been. Uh, by common consensus, uh, he kind of lost his way about six years ago with Elizabethtown. And then there was a uh, – some people think that Vanilla Sky was a magnificent uh, film that was underrated. And uh, I'm not going to argue against that, but uh, you know, I felt kind of creeped out by it. There was um, a movie that he almost made called Deep Tiki, which is a Ben Stiller, Reese Witherspoon uh, thing involving uh, some kind of scientist guy who's uh, involved in uh, uh, volcanoes and and, and uh, Hawaiian rituals. I, I don't I, Forget it. I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Because I, I never read the script. I'm reading, yeah. I'm talking about secondhand impressions. But the long and the short of it is I didn't feel that um, We Bought a Zoo really was on it. I felt it was too on the nose and he was trying to fulfill that kind of endearing... Uh, cute quality that he imparts when he's... It wasn't really hitting it, but it did hit it, I feel, in the last, say, 35 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, then it started... You know, he, he brings out his big guns, as most good directors do in the last uh, act, and it does work, I thought. So, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think inexplicably it works. Like, it even manages... Unlike Warhorse, which I think you can say you're on... The, for me, it's like a screenwriting teacher told me once told this whole class of students once he said you know you can have a bad movie as long as you don't fuck up the key moments that was his quote and i was always stuck with me because it's true there are key moments in both warhorse and we bought a zoo and the movies can be compared pretty well because they're both sentimental they both supposedly make you cry they're both involving animals and they both have great scenes and they both have missteps like in we Bought a Zoo, there were a couple of things that I thought seemed like they cut the movie too much and the the mm-hmm. scenes explaining those scenes were taken out. So it had kind of a messy yeah. plot thing, like things that just didn't fit or make sense. Like, like the one woman who suddenly becomes mean. She's all nice at first, and then all of a sudden she's his enemy.
0: She's delivering a speech in which she calls him a fraud. He is a fraud, she believes, because he does not have as much money as he ought to be. In fact, he's out of money.
1: Right, but it uh, uh,
0: just—I guess she feels been lying to them or something.
1: But it came out of nowhere, and like I wanted to see. But but all of that said, I was sitting next to a 13-year-old who Mm -hmm. did a couple of fist bump pumps during the the show, and was so into it and smiling yeah. and so happy with the message and loved it so much that that was infectious to me. You know, watching my daughter love this movie so much made me love it, you know. And when she asked me afterwards, God, that was a great movie, Mom. What did you think? You know, because she really wants to know what I think because obviously I can influence her pretty easily by saying, oh, it was a piece of crap. <laughs> you know? oh. But I don't think it was. I mean, the thing about can And I know that it's one of those movies I'll watch over and over again because he is good with actors, and he creates characters that are fun to talk to and fun to hang out with and not talk to. <laughs> you don't talk to them. But, you know, they're fun to listen to and watch. And I, I loved Matt Damon. I love Scarlett Johansson in it. I thought she does, like, one of her best roles. And the kid... Both kids are good. And Elle Fanning is wonderful. And um, even Thomas Hayden Church. So... All of that, I could forgive the the weaknesses in the script because I felt like he didn't fuck up the key moments. I felt that they were just honest, truthful, and moving.
0: Whereas I with think War... the thing that you were you were telling me, i wish you would repeat about uh, I feel as I explained to you and I put it in the column that the uh, it's it's a <clears throat> good film for the most part, at least during the last third, with a bad brief, which is I don't I think it's a very questionable and I felt that had a bad taste to it though because I, I don't believe that zoos are uh, a terribly good idea for for animals and makes them morose uh, and uh, listless and you know they, they're in jail and they know it and 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 I but you were saying that it would have been been actually something that might have made sense and would have worked emotionally if maybe you could explain that
1: um, if he had it, it he had come into the zoo and it had been about a guy who likes to collect exotic animals, and it was to the detriment of those animals. And if if, if this guy was coming in to save that scenario and to say, these animals are here, they're going to die otherwise. We have to take care of him, them.
0: That would have been good. And that's different
1: right. from what yeah. it is because obviously she orders exotic snakes and they're yeah. trying to have a real zoo. Now, of course, right. they take care of the animals in the zoo. It's not like they don't. But there's always going to be a question of, why would you take a tiger out of Africa if, uh, yeah. Yeah. if for no other reason for people to look at that that tiger? I mean, I want people...
0: to get into a digression, but it has been pointed out since I wrote my piece earlier, earlier today that zoos do uh, keep uh, certain species going, uh, ones that would be otherwise extinct, like black black rhinos, and uh, so they are serving a, a good purpose there. And I would ask if a species is becoming extinct. Uh, what does it matter if you've got 10 of them, uh, you know, still alive at, at certain zoos? I guess it's it's good, but, you know, if they aren't perpetuating themselves, there's a kind of a natural order out there. Unless, of course, poachers are killing them, but, hmm. the, you know.
1: And maybe it's a, like a museum. You know, maybe it's preservation of, of a species yeah. and it's to study and to appreciate and to, I'm sure that anybody would want to have animals that, you know, are no more to look at. Like, I don't think there are any more California grizzlies, for instance. They have a grizzly bear. I don't know if it's a California grizzly bear. I don't know where he comes from, but I know there are no more grizzlies in California, and that that's really sad. Um, Wolves, too, I think were extinct from California. Um, So I think you're into a weird area there with that. But I think Cameron Crowe manages to make it less about...
0: See, I would completely—your idea is the best thing I've heard. If we were knew that he—it was a choice of either we care for them or they might have to be euthanized. we got to do something to save these poor guys. They're here. We can't afford the tens of thousands to send them back to their native lands. That is something that really— would make me feel a lot different.
1: Yeah. I mean, of course they do say that in the beginning that the animals are going to die if someone doesn't buy the place, but they don't set it up. Like he's coming to save them. Even yeah. though people say, thanks for saving them. What it's more about is thanks for keeping our zoo running.
0: Yeah. Well, he, but the hand he's doing it really because he wants to give uh, an experience to their, to his kids that is going to kind of rev them up and make them feel that they've uh, got an, an adventure to, uh, to absorb and kind of take their mind off a little bit about just loss and the fact that their mother has died and that, uh, you know, life is an adventure and let's get into that spirit. You know, he's trying to sort of wake the family up and start all over again in a way.
1: Yeah. I kind of felt like it was, the movie was really on its game when it was about the family and the mom and all that. And it was working out. And then it, it faltered to me a little bit when it had to deal with, uh, the logistics of running the zoo Mm -hmm. because there were just too many weird logistics and we couldn't really keep up with them all. And, uh, and I, but I did like that, that they didn't have a romance, full blown romance with Scar Joe. I mean, I like that he, they, you know, they do, they flirt around each other, but I like that they kept it on him being still in love with his wife. I think that worked better for the story. Mm -hmm. And and we should mention also, it's a true story. So all the kind of weird hokey plot devices that you think don't belong there. Well, they, they really happen. They're true. So sometimes truth is stranger than fiction.
0: Uh, Devin, Devin Faraci, um, I don't have the book in front of me. I have not bought or read it. But he says, is anybody going to talk about how the movie completely cheats on what actually the story is from the zoo in England that this uh, story is based upon? Benjamin, me and his family uh, did this in England, mm-hmm. and they transposed it to Southern California, Thousand Oaks.
1: Right. So what's his point? That's already out there. They already talked about that. If you read any review or story about the the movie, they talk about the fact that it was previously set in England, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, no, no, it's not the location. He's apparently alluding to, this is a Twitter thing, that there is stuff that happens, stuff that uh, was, in his judgment, a more interesting story or a less calculated story or something. But he says it's a different, you know, they changed it a lot. You know, there was huh. something good about the story that they, you know...
1: Well, he's he's being he's being obstinate because he's he's pitting people who like We Bought a Zoo against people who like Warhorse. That's what he's doing right now because they're well, you like We Bought a Zoo, mm. <laughs> so how you know how can we trust your opinion? It's sort Do
0: you think about my my contention from a long time ago that that heavy bearded guy is Devin Faraci in the film
1: <laughs> he
0: co-stars in the film and he's not telling you anybody about it. <laughs> It
1: kind of looks like him a little, but he's older, much older than
0: David. A lot like him, if you ask me. By the way, there's a (laughs) moment. um...
1: Oh, oh, oh! And can we say how cute Patrick Fugit looks? He looks pretty good. God, he was cute. I wonder if um, Cameron Crowe wanted him to play the lead because he was so cute that I was thinking, why isn't Scarlett Johansson's character going after him? He was a true hottie, might I say?
0: He he looks good. He's uh, tall and slim, and uh, and he's thin, and he looks nice.
1: He looked great. Yeah. 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 He he grew up really nicely. He's got a kind, thoughtful face. Yeah. I would like to have seen more of him in the movie actually. I wish yeah. he'd been he'd had a bigger part. Yeah, I agree. But I'd like to see the two of them working together again. I think that, that Cameron Crowe did a pretty good job in terms of not overreaching like he has done in the past. Although, you can't really you can't really punish a filmmaker for stretching and for trying new things. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but the fact that they're out there trying, I think is wonderful wow. and I also like how unabashedly sentimental he is I mean he's not like Spielberg sentimental where it has to sort of appeal on a five-year-old level it's more like romance it's Capra it's you know Billy Wilder it's it's this sort of you know sweet sappy sentimental sentimentality that that only he really can do and I thought it was just on you know full throttle and we bought a zoo no, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I don't think it has any Oscar prospects at all. No, but I personally know that I enjoyed it, and I'll watch it again. And I again. thought,
0: on its own terms, it's a better film than War Horse. It's it's still it's it's a plain to a family thing, but I think it's a. Um, I had less issues with it than I have with warhorse, so
1: well for me warhorse's problem was that it it reached such highs and then it fell so low. I sort of had the same problem with saving Private Ryan, which is maybe why people shouldn't take what I say seriously because most of your readers, for instance, and Spielberg fans, they all love saving Private Ryan, but yeah. for me, it was only about that first forty five minutes and after that it it just it devolved so intensely into overly sentimental plot devices that it was unwatchable for me i still to this day can only watch the first 45 minutes of that movie and i love those first 45 minutes and i thought with warhorse if i ever watch it again and i will i'm only going to watch although i don't know it made me cry so hard i don't know if i can watch it again but if i did i would only watch the middle part i would skip the beginning and i'd skip the end
0: yeah um yeah well I've seen it on Blu-ray within the last year or so. I thought it played pretty well. I was still pretty content with it. I, I really liked um, everybody in it. I, it's a good film. It's really a good film.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe it, it'll turn out that War Horse in the future isn't as isn't as objectionable in parts as I thought it was. And I I certainly don't want to hate on the movie. I think it's it's some of it is just so brilliant and wonderful. I I kind of wish that he had had a little more faith in uh-huh. our yeah. ability to yeah. read what was going on without yeah. having it painted over and gilding the lily and all that. You know? yeah. He didn't need to do all that. It would have been so great if he hadn't. If he'd shown restraint is what he needed to do.
0: Mm. Well, um, I have to prepare for yeah. a uh, uh, an event that I think you're going to also.
1: I am. I, I couldn't bring anybody with me, so I'm going solo. Nobody wanted to go.
0: Oh. <laughs> because you're because, uh, what's his name? Have already seen it?
1: What's-His-Name doesn't want to see it, and Craig has already seen it, yeah.
0: Well, sit with me, and um, I'm bringing Svetlana.
1: Oh, nice. But you won't be Bur- there. You're going to be q and Aing though, the whole time.
0: No, I'm not going to be uh, q and and Aing the whole time. I'm going to be doing it for about 20 minutes during the movie. It starts at 6.30, sometime between 7 and 7.30. I'm going to do about 15, 20 minutes with Jonah Hill, no big deal, hmm. and then come back in the seat, that's all.
1: So what time should I leave here to get there, do you think?
0: 5.30? Yeah, I wouldn't leave any later than 5.30 because uh, I, I would like for one to get to a early, uh, to a front row because I want to have good video of Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill.
1: Right, right. Me too. And that theater is really small. There is There really isn't a bad seat in the house. If it's, it's a in the theater. fancy theater. Yeah. You know, the
0: Yeah, the Cary Grant. And you're not supposed to go in on the Overland Gate, but on the other side. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Do you think you can? I can bring my big camera?
0: I don't think they're going to be telling anybody, don't bring cameras. That's the point, isn't it?
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm going to bring my big camera. I hope that it, um, they'll let of me to Yeah. I'll oh, bring no, it up.
0: We don't want you to take pictures. We're going well, to it's
1: lose. a huge camera. When I point it at people, they feel like I'm pointing a rifle at them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Well>.
1: <laughs> but I'll bring it anyway. Maybe I can get some nice shots of cutie pie Brad. Do you think Angelina will be there?
0: Um, That's interesting. She has certainly got to be in the country because they're doing these press days sometime soon. But that actually, the press day, the first one that I know about for in the land of blood and honey is going to be in New York. I'm not sure about when it's going to happen here. Yeah. I know that there's an opportunity to see it <clears throat> on Thursday, which I'm going to go to.
1: Oh, yeah. I haven't got invited to it. I have to try to get that going. I have going. to
0: badger them about, can I please see it? Oh, yes, of course you can. You know.
1: Oh, no. Well, you know. Um... That's
0: the way a lot of it is. Hi. It's not that I'm trying to be yeah. overly assertive, but do you think I could see the film that you're screening for everybody else? I know. Oh, sure.
1: No problem. <laughs> I know. I know. We
0: didn't know you were out here. We thought you were still in New York. So, you know, yeah. sometimes they do think that. I have not made a big announcement about it, but I thought it, the word had gotten around, but I guess not.
1: Yeah. And they have to they have to usher around so many different people and so many different personalities, yeah, you know, yeah, they, they yeah. can't keep track of everybody. They can't
0: keep track. Of it. I know it's a it's a tough job. Yeah. And I don't uh, assume that they have to cater to me at all. I just think it's amusing. That half the time I have to go to them and say, "May I please attend?" It's never a problem, but I have yeah. to just, you know, politely tap them on the shoulder.
1: Well, I'd, I'd love it if it turned out it was a really great movie and that it might actually place in the Oscar race. That would blow my mind. That a woman had a chance again—that would really be great. Even though it's Angelina, and I mean, the fact that it's Angelina is going to make it harder for her because you know people aren't going to really trust that she's smart enough to be able to pull off a movie like that. But, well, um, what do you mean they're not going to trust? I mean, well, you they know how people are—they are like are so it or sexist. they don't like it. I know they're so sexist, though. You know, they're sexist, especially against really pretty women. You know, a pretty woman can't possibly be smart. Although, I guess Angelina sort of proved herself over the years, so maybe that's not even an issue anymore.
0: There's, it's a—it's a pretty strong. I would, from what i sounding like, fairly rough film. So.
1: Yeah, sounds great. I can't and wait to see. And
0: it. it's in the native language, no English. Remember, so. They decided not to use the English language. If I were them, I would I would definitely put the English language version out in the hinterlands. I would just show the uh, trans the uh, subtitled version, yeah, which is in what used to be called Serbo-Croat, but it's now called something else. Yeah. Um, I would show that in the in the big cities, but I, w- I wouldn't put that into some theater in Oklahoma or. Virginia, I you know people want to you know you know they they just don't like subtitles a lot of times so
1: yeah Alright, well, Don't look
0: at David Pollan's comments. will be um,
1: David Poland. We, yeah, he wants to he fight was, with uh, me. On... He
0: was uh, adverse with you earlier today.
1: Yeah, not really. He was just kind of kidding around, but um, okay. But yeah, about about Warhorse. I guess he gave it a rave. I didn't see his rave, but I'm gonna switch gears on Warhorse from now on. I'm not gonna bash it anymore. I'm gonna try to just report straight what what other people are saying and not say so much. I've already said what I think, you know. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse,
0: so to speak. That's <laughs> all I'm going to do by myself. I'm just <laughs> going to report what people are saying. Yeah. I've had my moment. I'm going to maybe come back a little bit when it opens, ask people to please, you know, yeah. submit whatever feelings they have and uh, do it like that. Same so here. Great. I'm
1: going to just, you know, if there's rave reviews, I'm going to post them. If there's Q&As, I'll post them, you know. I'm I just That's the movie, That's but I'm not going to keep continually saying, oh, it's so bad. I'm certainly not going to do that. Obviously, we found out last year it didn't work anyway with
0: King's Speech.
1: (laughs) All right, well, I'll see you later then. I'll see you down at Sony. All right, very good. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com can follow us on twitter at oscar podcast and the bumper music is philip glass's target destruction um a jeff wells request and also in honor of mr cameron crow music chooser extraordinaire mixtape maker fabulous it is tom petty don't come around here no more from We Bought a Zoo. Thanks for listening.